As you're turning there in your Bible, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to talk for a minute about Isaiah in general, in chapter 35 in particular. Isaiah is one of the longest books in the Old Testament. It actually has 66 chapters. And so in those, uh, those really long old books, uh, and obviously back in the day, the Old Testament scriptures, they didn't have something like this. They had scrolls. And Isaiah was such a long book that it was divided basically into 1st Isaiah and 2nd Isaiah. You know, just like we have 1st Kings, 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles. A lot of those long books in the Old Testament get divided. And, and Isaiah, uh, in, in the ancient Hebrew form, was divided into two scrolls. Now, you might think, well, it's, you know, it's Isaiah. It's got 66 chapters. I bet it goes to chapter 33, 1 through 33, and then 34 through 36, because that would be this logical, obvious, halfway in the middle split. But that's not the way it was. It was always divided up, chapters 1 through 39 in the first scroll, and 40 through 66 in the second scroll. Because they weren't dividing the book of Isaiah uh, by pure length, it was more of the, the theme. Ver chapters 1 through 39 is all about God through the prophet Isaiah saying, Straighten up! Get ready! You better get right! You better do what God tells you to do or judgment is coming! And it was this constant message of an almighty, holy God who is persevering, who is patient with these people. But he says, hey, there's going to come a day when I, my patience has finally said, okay, I'm going to have to take it to the next level to wake you up. And that next level would be the exile of the people of Judah. There would be that day in which they were taken from their homes and dragged far, far away. And so, generally speaking, chapters 1 through 39 is all of that message, like, watch out, it's coming, you need to wake up, you need to get right. Whereas chapters 40 through 66 are the comforting parts of Isaiah. There it's all about, hey, God is going to restore you, God is going to bring you back. And so, a lot of the passages that we know about the Messiah come, say, Isaiah 53, where we hear all about the suffering Messiah, the suffering servant. And so many passages, they come from that last half of the book. And so Isaiah chapter 35 is a little unusual because it's in that first half that's all about judgment. Not in the second half that's all about comfort and peace and restoration. But yet chapter 35 is all about joy. As we are in this Advent season, that is the theme of the third Sunday of Advent is joy. And we're looking at a passage, a chapter that's all about joy. And I think it's pretty neat that right in the middle of all the judgment, doom, calamity, on this side and that side, God said, I want you to go ahead and speak a word of joy. You need to go ahead and, and, and tell the people about joy because that speaks to us because joy is not just something that we can have in our lives when everything is smooth sailing and, and everything's going our way. We can have joy even in the midst of troubles and trials and difficulties. So Isaiah chapter 35, and uh, the, the whole passage, uh, the whole chapter is our passage for today. But we'll just, uh, at this point, read a couple of verses in, in the interest of time, and then we'll read the rest. Would you stand, please, with me, in honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 35. 
The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your blessings, what you promised to do for these Israelite people, and and God, what you promised to do for us in our lives. May you take now the reading of your word and the proclamation of it. May you use it to build your church, to strengthen your kingdom, to draw people to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So this morning, as we think about this uh, 35th chapter of Isaiah, I want us to think about five pictures of joy. This is a very poetic. There are a lot of word pictures going on here. Isn't it? it isn't just straight commands. It isn't just straight prose. It's, it's really poetry and imagery. And here God, through the prophet Isaiah, gives us five different huge pictures to think about of his joy that we can have in our life. The first picture has to do with the verses we just read, and these are all pictures of transformation. The first one is from wasteland to wonderland. From wasteland to wonderland. God here pictures in those first couple of verses, hey, everything is messed up. Everything's dried up. Everything is bad. He talks about the desert and the parched land and the wilderness. And he says, guess what, though? Everything looks rough. Everything looks tough. But it's going to bloom. Everything is going to get better. This is basically a reverse apocalypse. We see a lot of apocalyptic movies out nowadays, right? This is what happens after we ruin the earth with, you know, with pollution or, or with atomic warfare or whatever. And there's this bleak, desolate picture. And the movies are all about going from the good thing we have to how terrible it's going to be. But God actually pictures a reverse thing. He says, hey, things are, are, are really bad right now or they're about to be because you haven't listened to me and judgment's coming. But guess what? There is some hope there. There is something else that is coming. Now, I don't know how many of you know what a crocus is. In fact, I'd like to know so I won't feel so bad about myself. How many of you know what a crocus is? Raise your hand. Well, that's more of you than I had hoped. I feel kind of bad now, but I did not know what a crocus was when I was reading this. I had no idea. I kind of had a guess that maybe it was a flower because it talked about blooming. And, you know, that was kind of a good hint. But I, I didn't know what that was. And so I asked Judy, and she kind of thought, oh, yeah, that's this thing. And you can seed your yard with them. And then when, when the first, before the grass even grows, just when some of that stuff is, maybe just some of that, uh, what clover's coming out, boom, these things will pop out. And you know, hey, spring is coming. Life is coming. And, and God's saying here, hey, there's going to be some signs of life where you thought everything was over. When your situation or circumstance is just looking like doom, it's gone. I'm going to change things. I'm going to take them from the wasteland to a wonderland. And he starts talking about Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon, and those things mean nothing to us, right? We, we feel like, okay, Lord, whatever that is, I'm sure it's good. But back then... Those were places that were known for their great forests, their gardens, their beauty. And he's comparing to all the beautiful places in the world. He said, your land 
which looks like a desert dry land, which looks like a wilderness. It's going to be known for its beauty, just like these other places. And he says, then they will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. The idea is God purposefully works in your life, not only to bless you, but to bring glory and honor to him. He's going to work in those really tough situations in your life, and he's going to bring beauty from ashes, as his word tells us. He's going to do something amazing, and it's going to be so that people can look at your life, and they can praise him. They can say, wow, God's at work in that life. So that's that first picture that we get. The second picture we get is a picture of transformation from fear to fortitude. Listen to what it says here in verse 3. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that will give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. I kind of get the, the, the image here of old Barney. You know, you remember Barney? And he, Barney Fife, he, was, he, he acted like he was big and bad, but when time came for him to go out and actually do something of real law enforcement, man, he was shaking, the knees were knocking. He was fearful about what was coming. And God says, I'm coming not only to bring some beauty into your life, I'm coming to bring some fortitude. I'm coming to bring some confidence. A lot of us deal with issues that, that aren't so tangible. It's not a person or a thing. It's a fear that we deal with in our lives. We struggle against a spirit of fear coming against us, and we worry and we fret and we fear. And God says, that's not what I want for you. I have a desire to come to you and to lay my hand upon you and to steady you. Stop those knobby knees from shaking. Stop those trembling hands and give them confidence. Because I'm going to take care of this. And you know what he says? We know that a lot of things are relationship issues that give us these kind of fears. And it turns out the fears Israel had were, how are we going to get back at all these people that have wronged us? And they've done bad things to us. And, and you know, we can get worked up just like that. When we think of how we've been wronged and how am I going to get them back? How am I going to pay them back? And we can get all knotted up. And he said, don't worry about that. He said, I will come. And I will take care of the retribution. In other words, as God says elsewhere in his word, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. A lot of us are so torn up trying to figure out how we can't let them get off the hook. I'm going to pay them, pay them back. I'm going to make them pay. That we're losing our joy over it. We're fearful over we've got to always keep a one up over them. And God says, look, let me handle it. You don't have to fear or worry. I will even the score. I will bring retribution. And you can just walk in peace and knowing that I'm in control. And that's what God wants us. He wants us to go from the fear to the fortitude, knowing he's in control, standing firm in what he has for us. The next thing we see is that brokenness becomes wholeness. We go from hurt to healing. Listen to these next few verses in chapter 35. Starting in verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. God says, I plan to restore you. 
I plan to make you whole. I plan to take what was broken about you and reform it and redeem it. And God has a desire that we would see this change in our life and that we'd be joyful over what he does. Fourth, this fourth form of joy we see is barrenness becomes bounty. In the middle of verse 6, it says, Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So they have a very popular uh, devotional book, by the way, Streams in the Desert. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. God here pictures someone walking through the desert. And, and, you know, you get delirious, right? We've all seen the show, walking through the desert, thirsty, delirious. We think we see something, and it's not really there. And God says, when I come along, it is really there. It's not going to be a mirage. It's not going to be an illusion. I am going to bring a time of refreshing into your life. I am going to quench the thirst that you've had. I am going to provide an oasis of my life for you. God wants us to look to him. He wants us to look ahead and know that he says, I've got more for you. I've got growth. The Bible was talking here about things being planted and grown. There is life ahead. God doesn't desire for us to just extend our lives and merely exist. God says, I've got something worth of value and of importance in your life. And I want to bless you. We probably, in our culture, in our country, we've probably never really been hungry or thirsty, most of us. I mean, we've, we've never had that true, you know, I'm dying for a glass of water. No, you weren't. You had a Coke 10 minutes ago. You, you just got a little sweaty, and you say you're dying, you know. Uh, I've never been very good at the whole fasting thing, but I remember once upon a time when I was in college, a, a group that I was in, we said, we're going to do this 30-hour fast for missions. And we all pledged that we were going to do it, you know. And, man, we, we were going to hold each other accountable. And we were going to do this thing. And I just remember we just sat around and we tried to distract ourselves and playing games. And, you know, it's just the fact that you told me that I can't have any food and water makes me want it far more than I ever would have. And at the end of that, the 29 minutes was coming close, and they had brought in some food. I mean, like a feast. We, we said, you know, it wasn't good enough that we fasted for 30 hours. Then we're going to gorge ourselves, all right? And so we were like, oh, I can't wait. And we start tearing into it and, and pray, you know, getting a tummy ache, basically, getting a stomach ache. Like, oh, it's too much. Because we're, we're not used to being truly deprived, truly hungry and thirsty, most of us. God says, some of you, though, you've really longed for, you've really thirsted for, you've really hoped for some redemption and some healing in your life, and that's what I want to provide. And the fifth picture we see is that wanderers find a way home. Wanderers find a way home. In verse 8, it says, and the highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. 
nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing everlasting joy, will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. One of the worst things that we end up getting ourselves into as human beings is we often find ourselves so far away from God and his plan for us and his work in his life that we begin to believe the lies of the devil when he whispers into our ears and he says, you've gone too far. You can't get back to God. You, th- you know all that you've done. How do you think he'll ever accept you back? How do you think the church people will ever accept you back? It's over. You might as well stay here in the gutter. You all just stay here in the low living and don't even try to go back. But God says there is a way. It doesn't matter how far, how long you've been away, how far you've gone, where you've gone. God says there's a road back home. You can get there from here. Wherever you are in life, there is a highway, there is a path that I will build back for you. So you can return to me. And that is a powerful thing. There is nowhere that you can go. There is nowhere that is too far for the grace of God to reach. Wherever you've gone, he can reach you there. He can get there. You know, in Luke chapter 15, the latter part of the the chapter, he tells... Probably Jesus' most famous parable. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. That's our name for it, but it's really better described as the parable of the gracious father and his two prodigal sons. You see, one of them went far away physically, far away distance-wise. The other stayed home And he was not far from home, but he was far from God's heart. He stayed there and he stewed in his jealousy, in his self-righteousness, in his, oh, I would never hurt father the way brother did. And God pleads with him to come home the same way that he pled with the prodigal son. He offered the same exact redemption. And yet the story ends with the father telling the older brother, won't you please come back? And it leaves that question hanging. And Jesus was saying, you church folk, you religious folk, who think that you don't need my grace, who think that you don't need to come back to me because you've always been right here. You might be close to my home, but you've been far from my heart because you've been filled with your own self-righteousness. You've been thinking, I'm a good person. I'm okay. I don't really need this like so-and-so. Boy, they really need the Lord. God says, no, you need me. You see, the people of Israel all this time... Or Judah, you might call them, because the kingdoms had already split. The northern kingdom was already gone. But there they were, the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. And they said, oh yeah, we're right here. We're with the temple. We're close to God. Nothing can ever happen to us. And God warned them. Out of love and compassion and kindness, turn. Change. Get it right. Come back to me. 
But in their minds, they thought, come back. What do you mean? We're right here. We're in the holy city. We go to the temple all the time. We pay our tithes. We do our religious stuff. We're with you, God. And God finally had to say, I'm going to allow a foreign leader to come from a faraway place, to move you hundreds of miles so you finally get through your thick skulls. You are far from me, just like you already were, but it's going to take a little geography for you to finally get it. How far you are away from me. The other day, Maren was mentioning a group, and uh, she made a comment about them, and it was something funny, and then we laughed, and then we're like, um, what exactly did you mean? You ever done that? You've laughed, and you're like, ha, 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 what does that mean? And she said, oh, oh, this is a, they're a singer, and we're like, ah, okay, you know, we're in that lovely stage of life where we have no clue who all the popular, you know, they're just, unless they've hit that top tier, we, we don't know who they are, and, but we sometimes hear the kids singing songs around the house, and I don't know, probably about a year ago, there was there was one that, that they would sing, and like a lot of these modern songs, like a pop song, and then they'll have kind of a rap, like right in the middle of it. And there was this one we just thought was hilarious, because right in the middle of this song, is called Alone by Holland, there, there's a little rap. And in that rap, there's this one little line that we just, we just love. It says, man, I got issues, I can't even lie. And so we, that we made that our theme for the house. Every time we turn around, man, I got issues. I can't even lie. You know, it, this was our thing. And it was a big joke every time something happened. We'd say, man, I got issues. And, and just talking about that and saying that a whole lot. And eventually, though, it kind of, for me, went from a joke to really more of a mantra, more of a something I told myself to remind myself, say, I really do. You know, as Christian people, we often get to this place where we want to act like we've got it together. Oh, I know Jesus. I've got it together. Everything's fine. And the message of the gospel is that you and I and everyone else, we're not fine. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have all turned away. We have all messed up. It's why I get so, so worried when people come to me for counseling and they start to, before they tell me about this big thing they did, they say, now, Pastor Tim, I want you to know I'm really a good person, you know, before they tell me this deep, dark mess that they're in. And I want to say, no, you're not. And neither am I. The Bible says that none of us are good. None of us are righteous. And we want to, we want to constantly say, I'm good. You know, that's how we say a lot of times, that I've got enough, right? Someone says, you need some more tea? I'm good, right? And that's okay, but we do that to God, and that's where we mess up. God says, you need some of my mercy, you need some of my grace, you need some of my forgiveness. I'm good. I'm good. And God says, oh, child, no, you're not, but I am. And he is waiting for each of us to get to that point where we say, God, I'm not good, but you are, and I need your mercy, and I need your grace, and I need your forgiveness. And God is telling us through the ancient prophet Isaiah today that there is joy to be found in your life, but that joy will not be when you say, I'm good, God. I got it all under control. The transformation, the joyous transformation God wants to bring into your life 
is when we say to him, God, you're good, and I need you. God, will you please come and save me? And when we do that, that's when God says, yes, I will come, and I will take your brokenness, I will take your grief, I will take your suffering, I will take your inadequacies, and I will build something new and beautiful that's better than you could have ever imagined. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you are so good. Good doesn't even really describe it. It's so inadequate. Father, you never lie to us. You never abandon us. God, you never uh, just mess us up in any way. Lord, you stick to your word. Your promises are true. Help us to understand that. Help us to get rid of that pride which says that we're not in need. And help us to humbly come before you and say, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Humble us so that we might experience the grace and mercy that you have and you so desperately want to reveal in our lives. Lord God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our time.